Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Touching it, it's getting redder. I got hemorrhoids. Can you believe that? Oh, mother. Isn't that terrible? You're not getting Have the garage you space. Into the no, I'm doing the parking. No. Russ, oh, you want to help me? Your grandma knows I've got a real painful burr on my heel. And if you rub it for me, I'll give you a whole quarter. Okay? <laughs> a quarter. And I'll give Audrey a quarter, too, Audrey. I'm going to park my car in the garage. This is what Christmas is all about. I'll uh, park the cars and check the luggage, and uh, yeah, I'll be outside for the season. Well, we're only a few days away from December 25th. You know what that means. They're here, or they're on their way. They're coming. Irritating in-laws, you know, toxic exes, rude relatives. Uh, are you ready for them? Are you ready to share dinner with crazy Uncle Eddie? Uh, I want to welcome you to Liquid, particularly in New Brunswick. If you're watching online, welcome. I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, I'd honestly like to tell you that for every person in this room, we feel nothing but joy when it comes to Christmas, okay? Let's just, let's pretend that, but the reality is we're at church. I don't want to lie to you, and the truth is this. When it comes to family and friends at Christmas, we're anxious to see, sometimes it's not joy as much as it is a little bit of dread. Uh, because in our interactions over the next few days, we're going to have some with the people who, what I call, honestly, I'm just going to be real polite about it, I call them sandpaper people. Do you know what sandpaper people are? They are people who somehow, whatever they say, whatever they do, they rub you, oh, the wrong way. You ever have, you have those people in your life? Anybody have a sandpaper person in your family? Don't point to them. Uh, maybe you have a boss, somebody at work who rubs you the wrong way that makes you want to spend, you know, Christmas in the garage. Uh, I have a relative who shall remain nameless. Uh, she loves to give inappropriate gifts to our kids. Uh, last Christmas, she gave my five-year-old son a full-on drum set, okay? My son is five years old. We live in a modest home. So for January, it was like ear-splitting noise. For 31, it's like, oh, thanks for that. Uh, you know, we try to set boundaries. Please, nothing extravagant, but she just blows right past it. It just kind of rubs my wife and I the wrong way. So we're kind of anxious for this Christmas. We're expecting, like, you know, a crossbow. It's, it's ironic. 
I don't know what it is about Christmas, but nothing causes family friction like nothing else in the world, like the holiday season. And so I figured, what better topic for us to talk about with only a few days left until the most wonderful time of the year, you know, as they say. Sandpaper people, how do you deal with people in your life who rub you the wrong way? Christmas is about love. It's supposed to be about family, about forgiveness about God actually having a, a broken relationship with us and being so heartsick about it that he sends his son to earth to repair the relationship. So my question is, as followers of Jesus, how do we respond with love, with, with reconciliation to the, to the abrasive people that God puts in our path? Because one of the ways, honestly, that God builds your love, my love, our character is by testing us. He lets us rub up against people who are not particularly lovable, sandpaper people. And we think sometimes, you know, oh, maybe he's punishing me, but what if he's refining you? Because that's what sandpaper does, doesn't it? Actually, what? It shaves off the imperfections. It smooths away the flaws in a piece of wood. And in the same way, have you ever considered that maybe God has intentionally allowed sandpaper people into your life on purpose, as a gift? Maybe not to be avoided at Christmas, but embraced as a gift from God as he continues the process of kind of shaping and sanding your soul, smoothing away the imperfections so that it's actually just like Jesus, perfectly loving and loving perfectly. Well, today I want to see us how this Christmas and over New Year's, in fact, that you can respond in love to really four types of sandpaper people. I think you're going to recognize me when I describe them to you. The first group is difficult people. Anyone here have a difficult person in their family? They're just hard to get along with. Okay, a few hands. Uh, nothing pleases them. They're a constant complainer, always cranky. Maybe you have a difficult person on your gift list and you think, well, why bother? They're just going to complain anyway. They are never satisfied no matter what I do. I call these kind of people crazy makers. Think of that person for just a minute and you notice on your way in, we gave you a little piece of sandpaper. Can you take that out? I'm going to invite you to do something. As I describe these four types of sandpaper people, if you have one in mind, you can jot down their initials on the back. Do not do this if you're sitting next to them. Okay, take, just, take, just take a look. Just go, okay, keep it private. If you think of somebody at work, at school, and your family, just jot down their initials. The second group is demanding people. These, we all know people who are pushy, aggressive. They're always asking for perfection. You can never meet their expectations. Uh, I had lunch with a friend recently. She said, my boss is so demanding at the end of the year, she's like, it's her great joy to make my life difficult. That like brings her, you know, think Sue Sylvester from Glee, right? Demanding people say it's got to be my way or the highway. Does anyone have someone like that in your life? Again, don't, do, do not look at them. That is ridiculous. Don't look, 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 nudging here. Uh, just write their initials discreetly, okay, on your piece of sandpaper. Third type of sandpaper people are disappointing people. Now, these are folks who may not mean to hurt you, but they let you down fairly regularly. They may be well-intentioned, they may, they may, but, they, but they constantly break promises or they fail you in some way, leaving you disappointed. Uh, on a serious note, I was speaking with a young woman. Her father's a functioning alcoholic, and when it comes to the holidays, it's a very hard time of year for her. She's like, I love my father very much, but he constantly disappoints our family. He promised to come to Thanksgiving, but never showed up, left her and her husband or kids just sitting in a restaurant, just waiting for hours. He actually missed her wedding. And she said, Tim, he's totally unreliable, but he's the only dad I have. And so she's always like holding her breath. Will he show up for Christmas or won't he? And she always winds up hurt, disappointed. At Christmas, how do you show the love of Jesus Christ to a disappointing person without being hurt all over again? 
Now, the most difficult of all are destructive people. That kind of notches it up one more level. And these are people who are out to harm you intentionally. And this is sad to say, but there is evil in this world, and there are people who are deceitful, they are double-dealing, and they will hurt you if you let them. They can be debilitating, they are dangerous. One of my buddies, he's dreading an encounter with his ex-wife over Christmas. As they, she, he says, whenever we pass off the kids between one another, she never misses the chance to take a cheap shot. She always rips down her husband in front of her kids. Totally toxic, very destructive to the family dynamic. So the question before us today is, is, is simple and complicated. It's how do we respond to the, the sandpaper people in our life, in your life? And the answer is, you can't. <laughs> you can't. But Christ can and he has, because he has already responded in love to us. When The Bible says when we rub God the wrong way, Christ actually laid down his life to repair that relationship. And, and when we receive Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, he doesn't just, you know, give us heaven that's, you know, and sweet by and by and hopefully all things will be forgiven. No, he actually gives us his spirit in us, giving us a new power to respond in a supernatural way with love to the difficult people in our life. He says, I want you to do the same for them. I want you to love the unlovable. I want you to be a reconciler of relationships. That's the spirit of Christ, of Christ Mass at, at Christmas. So the question is, how do we do this? Well, our key verse from today is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Let's read this aloud together. All our campuses, big loud voice. Let's read it together. Ready? Love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. And love keeps no record of when it has been wrong. Now in this verse, we put this in your notes, you can follow along, but you're going to see four characteristics of love that if you apply them, do an incredible job of kind of smoothing the edges from our encounters with sandpaper, sandpaper people. And we'll refine your soul in the process over the next couple of weeks. The first uh, description you see, love is not rude, kind of gives us insight in how to deal with that first group, difficult people. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are a lot of rude people out there. Had a couple visiting from Texas. They're like, man, everyone in New Jersey is kind of brusque. They throw a lot of elbows. I was like, welcome to New Jersey. I was shopping at uh, Macy's this past week, kind of last-minute deal, and uh, I come up in line. There are five people in line, you know, and the woman at the front, she begins by saying to the store clerk, she goes, I have been waiting for almost 10 minutes. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, ma'am, it's a holiday. She goes, all right, would you please just, you know, and, you know, he begins, beep, scanning the tag, and she goes, that is the wrong price. And he goes, okay, you know, and he checks it and everything is being polite. And he's like, sorry, ma'am, it's just what, you know, the, 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 the um, uh, scanner is saying. And, uh, and she goes, well, that's ridiculous. She goes, you don't even know how to do it. Get your boss. Who's your boss? Who's your manager? And we're like, oh, for heaven's sakes, now it's 10 minutes. Uh, and she, she literally said, she goes, I don't know what this place is about. Are you trying to rip me off? Like this guy had no, he was just like, ma'am, I'm just trying to eat. And she goes, call your, so he begins dialing the phone. He had a little trouble. And she goes, don't you even know how to use the phone? It was like, it was just cringeworthy. The rudeness, utterly awkward. I actually, honestly, I just kind of stepped out of line and walked away. The Bible says, love is not rude. And as a result, as a follower of Jesus, I must therefore be tactful, not just truthful. Love is tactful. In other words, when someone's rude to you, you actually don't return their rudeness. You actually overcome evil with good. When people are difficult, you don't be difficult back. And that's going to be hard for some of you with the spiritual gift of criticism. This is going to be a stretch. See, the, the main reason we are rude, even this time of year, is we're typically in a rush, and therefore we jump to conclusions. We assume we know what other people think, or we judge them for their incompetence. If you're sitting at the light and someone doesn't hit the gas, the moment it turns green, bang, you know, that's the way this goes. We don't have time for tact in the Northeast. It requires patience. 
And it doesn't automatically, the Bible says, jump all over other people's shortcomings. I want you to listen to Ephesians 4. It says this. Stop being, look at these words, bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other or ever be rude. Instead, be what? Be kind, be merciful, and forgive others. Here's the kicker. Why? Just as God forgave you because of who? Because of Christ. So this is a challenge to respond to people in your life who rub you the wrong way with tact. Why? Because the truth of Christmas is this. In God's eyes, you're the difficult person. (laughs) You are a difficult person to love. The Bible says God is loving and he's patient and he bears all kinds of shortcomings with us. The Bible says we're actually sinful and stubborn and self-centered and yet God, who is kind and merciful and forgiving, he says, I'm going to send Jesus. <laughs> I'm, when we rub up against someone in our life, we typically respond in kind. We don't respond with the love of Christ. And you may be thinking, oh, that's not true. How rude of you to suggest such a thing, right? But let's just take a little survey. Right now, make this live, all of our campuses. If I were to ask you to name something that rubs you the wrong way, what would you say? What kind of rudeness irritates you the most at this time of year? Think about that for a moment because I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and tell them one thing that rubs you the wrong way, and then I'm going to give you my top ten list of stuff that ticks off Pastor Tim. Okay? So right now, turn to one person, tell them one thing that just rubs you the wrong way. I'll give you 30 seconds. Go. All right. (laughs) What rubs you the wrong way? And don't say pastors who make me talk to strangers. I heard that over here. (laughs) This kind of interaction, I don't like that kind of stuff. Uh, I'll give you my top list. I'll give you top seven things that just rub me the wrong way. Just I don't know people who talk during movies. This is a pet peeve of mine. Pastor Mike's wife. It's just plain rude. It's like I didn't pay nine bucks to hear your commentary. Just candid. Uh, Number six: people who text or email. In all caps, why are you yelling at me? You know, like, why do you do that? Uh, how about people at the supermarket who cheat in the 10-item or less uh, grocery express line? That just rubs me the wrong way. I, am just, I just lose all my faith. I am like, Jesus loves you. I counted. You're out of line. You know, it's just like, forget it. For me, number four, something that rubs me the wrong way is people uh, who, you ever have this people who smoke, they light their cigarette, and then in, instead of smoking, they actually point it at you while they're talking. Have you ever seen this? Well, have you? you know, they're not really actually smokers. It's the cigarette that smokes. They're just suckers, right? I mean, it's, it smokes, you suck. That, that was, that's the way that goes. That was kind of rude. Forgive me. Uh, number, just saying, number three, Rusty, the wrong way, people who leave church early during the offering. I'm just going to say it. I just, I'm just going to say it. Number two, same as number three. But just, just saying. And finally, people who send chain emails, I don't know, you know, like forward this to 10 friends, you have those people. Yeah, you know, don't point again. This, they like, you know, they send a picture. It's always like a baby holding a kitten who's waving a flag. Forward this, you know, kind of thing. I'm like, I don't care how cute it is. I'm not doing it. I break the chain every time. How do you respond to those kind of difficult people, stuff that rubs you the wrong way? The Bible says love's not rude, and therefore, as Christians, we're to be tactful, not just truthful. Love principle number one. Here's the deal. I was on the receiving end of this. 
played out, and I really appreciated how tactful someone was in telling me something that could have been potentially very, very negative. Uh, my son Dell is in first grade, and he's a wiggler, okay? He's a six-year-old boy, so he's a wiggler. Uh, barely, I wonder where he gets this. Uh, you know, he, he, can, he can't keep his hands to himself, and honestly, a couple of times his teacher, Mrs. Roth, God bless her, she had to call home, called me at work to report something happened, and so we have one of those, you know, regular parent-teacher meetings, and my wife was a little nervous going into it. To me, I'm like, this is normal, this is kind of how I was. Uh, and she gets nervous because in some ways, some ways, my son Dell is a difficult person in Mrs. Roth's eyes. He's not only distractible, he kind of distracts other kids. So we go in, and uh, you know how you have to sit on one of those little chairs? You know, those little chairs, you kind of sit on those things. And we sit there, and the teacher, and she begins, and, and I see my wife, she starts getting blotchy when she gets nervous, so she's all nervous. And Mrs. Rose says, well, she goes, I'm so glad you came today. I just need to tell you one thing. I love your son, Dell. He is incredible. And, and we're like, you got the right one? Like, you know, she goes, no, she goes, you know what I love about him? Your son is passionate. He is spirited. Sometimes he has some difficulty focusing. But when he sees something that interests him, he will, that boy will not let go. This is going to make him great at something when he's an adult. That is called tact. Because she could have just come along and cataloged his deficiencies. But what did she do? She led with grace and kindness and actually love for my boy. And guess what? After that, we were all ears as parents. Because we realized we're actually on the same team. We, we both love my son. And she gave us some ideas like stuff we could do at home or, you know, to increase his focus, build skills and stuff. Now, she could have just hit us with the truth. And Christians love hitting you with the truth, right? I was going to tell you today, so, uh, Mr. Lucas, your son's a little barbarian. Just need to come out and say it. But she chose to call out the good. She saw the potential. And that is such a gift as young parents who are just trying to do our best. Folks, that's what tact is. It is a gift. It's a present it's an expression of love that opens new lines of communications in difficult situations. Proverbs 16:21 says this. Look at this verse. It says, "A wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more what? The more persuasive he is. Circle the word pleasant and circle the word persuasive in your notes. Draw a line between them. There's a connection here. You might even jot this down. I am never persuasive when I'm abrasive. When I'm abrasive with my wife, when I'm abrasive with my kids, when I'm abrasive with clerks, when I'm abrasive with anybody, I am never, ever persuasive. Nagging does not work. Is this a surprise? Does this work on you? It doesn't work on anybody. You see this in politics. Whenever somebody goes on the attack, their approval rating inevitably goes down because you're never persuasive when you're just abrasive. You never get your point across by being cross. And the way that you say something determines the way that it's received. If you say it offensively, it gets received defensively. See, tone and tact go together. In fact, the tone that I use can change the very meaning of the word. Think of, um, think of all the ways you could say the word, uh, you know, could say hello. 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 <laughs> right, these are all, it's same word, <laughs> different message. Tact and tone go together. It's not just what you say, but the way you say it. You can express difficult truth, friends, if you say it in the right, with a loving tone, it will be received much better. Love isn't rude, Paul writes. So we must be therefore tactful, not just truthful. This week, here's my challenge to you. Could you think of one abrasive person, one person who rubs you the wrong way, that you could give the gift of tact to this Christmas? Guess what? They may thank you for it. That's one of the ways that you give grace to difficult people. Now, number two, my question is, what about demanding people? Because some of you are saying, but what about that pushy person? Notice Corinthians says then, love does not demand its own way, which means I must be understanding 
not demanding. Now, we printed a verse in your program. You can look at it, Philippians chapter 2. Let's just read this together. It says, Your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not what? He did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing and took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. This is talking about the incarnation, the essence of Christmas. Is that God the Father loved us so much that he was willing to come down to our level in the form of a helpless child. Even though he was fully God, Christ was understanding, not demanding with us. Circle that did not demand and cling to his rights. Anytime you see somebody at a restaurant or a, a counter saying, I demand my rights, they're not being understanding, they're being demanding. And one of the greatest tests of your character is how you treat the people who serve you. How do you treat the waiters, the waitresses, if you, the, the flight attendants, the people at fast food joints, the guy who delivers your mail, secretaries, employees, people who work with you, what would they say? How do you treat the people who serve and help you, who make your coffee? Do you even notice them? Do you know their names? Do you know the names of the people who, who clean your office? Do you know the names of people who serve you in different ways? See, the presence of Christ in your life means you actually humble yourself and treat others with incredible respect, even if they're in a position beneath you, because Jesus came as a what? As a servant. So let me give you some more homework in this final run-up between now and Christmas Day. I want you to practice this week being understanding and not demanding. If you go out to lunch or you go to a store at the last minute before Christmas, realize your server or clerk may be under extraordinary stress. Maybe they're working two jobs, just overtime to make ends meet. Or stuff has happened in their life that actually has made them demanding. Have you ever thought about that? Whenever someone rubs you the wrong way, you need patience. And you only get you know, patience when you take the time to get to know someone's story, to get to know what Rick Warren calls the three Bs. Do you know their background? Do you know their battles? Do you know their burdens? Before you, in other words, before you get sharp or you get short with them, you need to ask, do I know their background? Do I know their story? Do I know the, the, the battles that they're, they're going through right now? Or do I know the burdens that they're carrying? If you do, it makes you a ton more patient, less demanding, more understanding. See, when, when people, when they rub us the wrong way, we always focus on the offensive behavior. Can you believe she said this? Can you believe he didn't look at me like, but we don't focus on what's made them that way. Maybe they were raised in a family, quite honestly, where they had no model of grace or kindness. It's a foreign concept to them. Maybe they grew up in a dysfunctional home, and they ought to be applauded, actually, for even getting this far. Perspective is critical here. One writer tells a story of uh, getting bored on board a train uh, in London, uh, actually, for the holidays. He took a seat in the back, crowded train at the holidays, and as the train pulled out, he said, I saw these three boys who were running up and down the aisles, unchecked, totally out of control. They were climbing over seats, shouting at each other, actually bumping into passengers. And uh, people were annoyed, kind of angry stares. You know, who, where's the mom? Where's the dad? And they're looking for the adults. And there's the father sitting at the front of the train, all alone in his seat with his hand, his head on his chin, like this, looking out the window, staring off, not doing anything, while his boys are running amok. Apparently the three boys got so rowdy, they actually tipped over the refreshment cart in the train. So it pulls out, and this guy got so upset, he stormed up to the front to confront this kind of deadbeat dad, and he said, sir, your boys are out of control. They are ruining it for the rest of us. We have a right to travel in some peace and quiet, and I can't believe you sit here doing nothing while your kids run amok. Have some consideration. 
You know, the father said, he was actually looking at me, he said, oh, I, oh, 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 I'm sorry, I'm just, we're coming home from a funeral, we, we just buried their mother, and um, I'm sorry, I just, I'm having a hard time thinking about what our life is going to be like without her. And the man slinked back to his seat, because perspective changes everything, doesn't it? When you know somebody's burdens, what what they're carrying, when you know their story. Those kids were acting out, of course they were, probably in shock over losing their mom. Or the man was lost in his, in his grief. Life without his wife. Take time to understand someone's battles, their background, their, their burdens. What are the problems they're carrying? They may be sick. They may have chronic depression or a debilitating condition. Surgery hasn't come yet. There are all sorts of burdens that people carry that you and I know nothing about. And love takes the time to be understanding. Instead of demanding and, and, and judging. Now, some of you may, may, may hit the pause button here, and you may say, well, does, does that mean I'm just supposed to let people without boundaries run me over? Because <laughs> someone who's demanding, do I just let them kind of wear me down to the nub, you know, give in to whatever they want? Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> Jesus is our model on this, and here is the key. You be tender without surrender. To love like Christ doesn't mean you let people push you around. Or break your boundaries. Jesus never caved in to manipulators. You notice that? In the New Testament, the Pharisees were always trying to intimidate Jesus. They, were, they would criticize his teaching. They were extremely demanding. They were very legalistic. They made all sorts of demands on people that they themselves couldn't even keep. But Jesus refused to let them push him in a corner. You can be tender without surrender. That's what authentic love does. It is forgiving, but it is firm. It is understanding not demanding. Love principle number two. Now the third group of disappointing, or, or disappointing people, I just have this written down here. You notice they all start with D. That's a mnemonic. Can you remember it now? Here is news. Here's news. This is a news flash. It's going to be shocked some of you. Everybody in your life is going to disappoint you at some point. Your family, your parents, your sisters, your brothers, your pastor is going to disappoint you. Me, your husband, your wife is going to disappoint you. We're going to disappoint you in this church. you know why they answer why this is? Because nobody's perfect. Can we actually say that together? Ready? Nobody's perfect. If you are expecting in a few days a picture-perfect family moment over Christmas, let me give you three words, prophetic words to you. Not gonna happen. <laughs> Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Oh, oh. grace. Oh. Oh. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! I pledge allegiance to the flag 
of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 <sighs> Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. Thank you. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. <laughs> okay, Eddie. Crying, huh? I told you we put it in too early. Oh, it's just a little dry. It's fine. I told you. Here's the heart. In a few days, you're going to be gathered around a table with a group of people who will inevitably disappoint you. Family is disappointing. Life is disappointing. So how do we deal with this? The third thing Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, love is not irritable, and therefore followers of Jesus must be what? Gentle, not judgmental. It's going to come as a surprise to some of you to hear this, but there are judgmental people in the church. <laughs> some of you are not acting surprised. You're like, that's why I only come once a year at Christmas. It's true. Church people can be among the most irritable uh, of groups, and it may not surprise you to know that not everyone is a fan of uh, liquid or, 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 or a fan of my preaching. I was reminded by that. Uh, by our church online volunteers the other week. Some guy um, was watching one of our services online, and he was typing all sorts of rude comments, actually, in the chat room. And he didn't like the way we were doing this. He was criticizing me for that. Not a fan, okay? And worse, he was being kind of abusive, honestly, to our volunteers and others who were kind of logged on. And uh, I said to, you know, Pastor Dave, who oversees church online, so, so what, what are you going to do about that? And he said, well, I invited him out for coffee. I was like, you agree? And uh, he was like, no, not at all. And he, and he began telling me how the Internet, it's obviously very easy for people to be difficult or demanding or destructive. All it takes is hitting that send button. You can do some serious damage in cyberspace. And this one guy was disappointed in our church. He felt that we weren't being fair to men. Remember we did that series, Man Made? He, and so he said we were, being, you know, we were being too hard on men, and so he started stinking up the chat room. And so Dave said, you know, it's not really the forum for you to, to do that. And so he actually moved to Facebook and created a brand new account exclusively to bash Liquid Church. Yeah. So you know what Dave did? Rather, now, we could have banned him from church online or, you know, contacted Facebook. Dave contacted him offline. You know what he did? He apologized. He said, I actually don't agree with your interpretation of that or, or, or your criticism of our ministry, but it's very clear that you were hurt and you felt offended. And the guy was actually taken aback because a pastor actually calling to say he was sorry that we caused offense and offering to buy him coffee and meet in person so he could understand where he was coming from. For a guy who was used to lobbing verbal grenades, he actually, I said, what was his response? Dave was like, he didn't know what to say. And there's a reason for that. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away what? Turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now look, our volunteers, they could have easily fired, right? they could have stirred the pot up. They could have poured more fuel on the fire, gotten defensive. But Pastor Dave chose grace. He chose to be gentle instead of judgmental. And the neat thing was, it not only turned away this guy's wrath, it actually opened up to a deeper conversation in his life 
that got to the root of the issues he was dealing with. And Dave was able to actually resolve the situation, in fact, pray for him. That's an incredible thing. So we always have a choice whenever we interact with difficult people. Are we going to be harsh and kind of stir it up and fuel on an angry situation? Or do we actually diffuse it with words of grace, of gentleness? This isn't just true online. That's just a great model for us that I was struck by. But think about our kids, right? Have you ever found how angry words can just like womb and maim a kid? Just like you can hurt them for years. But the Bible says gentle words are words that that heal. They're words that help. So when your kids mess up, it's like you don't have to get all over the case. Rather, give them a vision like Mrs. Roth did for the way life could be. Think of my son's teacher. Speak words of health and hope actually into them. Not words of judgment and harshness. Be gentle. It's the same way in all of our relationships. I mean, how many, how many marriages could be strengthened if we actually just waited a, a beat and used words that were kind and called out the good and not just harsh or vindictive? There's a little equation I've learned uh, along the way. You may want to write this down, a little math for you. Right plus rude equals wrong. This may be hard for some of you to hear, or maybe you'll be like, I know exactly what you're saying. But in most relationships, candidly, it doesn't even matter if you're right. <laughs> Logically, reasonably, you may make all the sense in the world. If you are rude, or you are angry, or you are critical, nobody cares what you have to say. They will immediately get defensive or tune you out. It took me four years in my marriage to learn this. <laughs> right plus rude equals wrong. But I'm right. You're wrong. I got it. <laughs> so do it in a gentle, a loving way, not with judgmental or harsh words. Right plus rude equals wrong. When someone disappoints you, and you're fired up, okay? Before you hit that send button, hit the pause button first. Think it through. Take a breath. Summon the spirit of Jesus in you. Lord, you're going to have to give me strength for this. And read what you wrote, because a gentle answer, the Bible says, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That is true whether you are interacting with your spouse, your kids, your boss, your friends, or even online. I love the fact that Proverbs uses the word gentle there. That's a great advice for life in a church like ours. Um, At some point, we are going to step on each other's toes. At some point, you're going to be disappointed by me or Dave or another pastor. In fact, if you're brand new, just hear this. This is a promise from me. Ready? We will disappoint you. (laughs) Can I just tell you that? The reason for that is we are a church made up of sinful people, including the pastors. (laughs) But yeah, But it's our response in the wake of that disappointment that's decisive. Do we take the time to actually work it through with one another? Do we actually go the extra mile to restore or preserve the relationship? Galatians 6.1 says, Paul writes, he goes, Brothers and sisters, if someone in your group does something wrong, especially your pastor, you who are spiritual should go to that person, and let's read this together, and what? Gently help make him right again. But be careful because you might be tempted to sin to. Paul's like, in other words, that, we're all in the same boat. And basically, guys, this is how the people in the world witness the gospel in action. It is no surprise to people when, when others, you know, hurt each other's feelings and they fight. That happens all the time in the real world. It happens all the time in the church as well, too. But if you walk away, if you walk from that relationship without doubling back to reconcile, guess what? You have robbed people of seeing the gospel in action. They know what sin looks like. They get it. And at some point, you will get it in our church but my hope is you'll get something even more rare. You will see a readiness to forgive, a readiness to actually let it go, do the brave thing, and face it and move on. Because that's what sincere Christian love does. 
when you're disappointed by somebody in this church, maybe it's in your life group, maybe it's a leader in a ministry, are you willing to work it through? Because that's the whole point of our faith. At Christmas, God says, I want that relationship back so bad I'm sending Jesus to die for it. Talk about going the extra mile. He travels light years to earth to be here in the flesh and reconcile with you and me. That's the spirit of Christmas. Now, our last challenge today is how to deal with destructive people, and this is the hardest of all. How do you deal with the people who intentionally wound you, who are mean, who are manipulative, who are hateful? And um, I have found in talking to a lot of you, in fact, um, and I appreciate you just your transparency with your hurts, um, we typically have two tendencies when someone hurts us pretty bad. We, we remember it, and then we retaliate. First, we remember it. In other words, we stockpile it in our mind. And my guess is even as, you, as you've been thinking about that person you're writing on today, you're, you're, you're thinking about what happened. We save that in our database, and we say, I am never forgetting that one. You are on my naughty list for life. <laughs> I am never letting you off the hook. And we remember it. We rehearse it over and over. The second thing then we do is we retaliate or get even. In other words, in our hurt, we want them to understand the pain they caused us, so we try to, you're gonna, you're, you want to let we're going to see what pain is. That's what the Bible says. Corinthians, Paul says, understand this Christian love, Christmas love is, keeps no record of wrongs. As a result, I don't repeat it. I what? I delete it. And this is easier said than done. I'm not just dismissing this. Instead of doing what comes naturally, we actually wipe it from the memory bank of our soul and we forgive it and we get on with our life because love lets it go. We don't repeat it. Now, what do I mean by that? When a sandpaper person wounds you, we usually repeat this in three ways. First, we, we repeat it emotionally in our minds. We, we rehearse it. We nurse a grudge. We fixate on the offense. We start getting bitter about it or resentful. Actually, resentment, this is an interesting word. Have you ever seen this? Resentment. You see the word sentiment in there? Okay, sentiment. It actually means feeling. And so resentment means to re-feel something over and over and over and over again. In other words, you keep picking the scab, and it never gets well. It just gets infected. That's what resentment is. It is toxic. It is emotional suicide. It will destroy you. When you hold on to a grudge, when you hold on to a hurt, when you hold on to, to bitterness, you're not hurting the person in your past. You're hurting yourself because they still have control over you. Your past is past in Christ. We're talking about Christmas presents. And only if you resist the temptation to actually rehearse your hurts emotionally can you move into the future with any hope of freedom and forgiveness. I want you to think of it this way. Whatever you rehearse, you begin to resemble. All right? If you're going to encounter somebody over the holidays who has hurt you and you think, I will never be like my father. I will never let another woman hurt me like that again. Guess what? The very fact that you are focused on it means you're still controlled by the past. You can't be present if you are chained to the past, all right? Other people repeat that hurt relationally as a weapon. We use it as a, in a fight, as a club in relationships. We, it all may be, you know, polite at the table, and you guys know this when you see your family, but just beneath the surface, well, she did this, and then he did that, and you remember that? Remember the year she did this? How could he say that? One husband, <laughs> one husband said, Whenever I get in a fight with my wife, she gets historical. <laughs> Not hysterical, historical. <laughs> she tells me everything I ever did wrong. She got a list. We laugh at that. But the truth is it destroys a lot of marriages. Scripture says love keeps no record 
of when it's been wrong. Let me take this one deeper. Some of you um, who are, or have been in a marriage or you've been hurt uh, by your partner, maybe it's an unfaithfulness or it's a disloyalty. Maybe they did something that, that, that really, really hurt you and I grieve with you. But they came back and they said, I'm, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And they said it with sincerity. And they stayed with you and stuck with you and, they've, and, and you've said, all right, I forgive you. But I'm never going to forget it. And back in there in your logic board somewhere, no matter what they do to try to win back your trust, it's never good enough. Because you've got this list against them. And they've disappointed you and they've destroyed your life here all the ways and the rest of your life, no matter how much good they do, it's not enough to atone for it. And you're demanding and you're unpleasable. I want to say this, I want to say this tactfully, but truthfully, you're destroying the marriage. You're killing the marriage. It's not the big sin now that's killing the marriage. It's the fact that you won't let it go. You are holding on to the hurt. You are nursing that. And as a result, there's no chance of reconciliation. Look, 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 at, our, look at our last verse, last verse with you. It says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, what's it say? Forgive him and let it drop. Leave it. Let it go in order that your Father who's in heaven may also forgive you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. I love that in the Amplified Bible. I love that. Underline, let it go. Look at this. Let it go. Love lets it go. That's what true love does. And you might say, well, Tim, <laughs> that's great. That preaches well, but you don't know, okay, what this person did to me. I have carried this hurt for years and years, maybe even decades, and it's too big and it's too late. You know what Christmas says? It says it is never too late. It's never too late. Granted, you may not have the power to forgive your enemies, but Jesus Christ does, and that's why he came at Christmas. And as his child, no matter how big a stretch it may seem, he can give you that power too. You may have heard of Desmond Tutu. He's a bishop in South Africa who won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work against apartheid, and he wrote a book, No Future Without Forgiveness, and he shares stories from his leadership of South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And uh, South Africa, you guys might know this, was plagued for generations by violence between the white ruling minority and then the black majority. And when the whites relinquished power, Nelson Mandela became president. The question was, how does a country with so much violence, so much pain and hurt in the past move forward? And uh, so Tutu and others established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And the goal was for those who actually committed atrocities to come forward and actually tell the truth both blacks and whites, but then it didn't end there. After confessing the truth, the goal was to bring forgiveness and reconciliation between the races, to actually break this cycle of hate so the entire country could move forward. And in one gripping scene, um, a South African woman stood in this emotionally charged courtroom listening to white police officers actually come clean and acknowledge the atrocities that they'd committed in the name of apartheid. There was an officer named Vandebrook, and he acknowledged responsibility in the death of her son, uh, along with others in his, uh, in his, uh, her and three other officers, they had shot her 18-year-old son in the head at point-blank range. And he and the other officers had partied while they burned his body, turning it over and over on the fire until it was actually reduced to ashes. Crazy stuff. And uh, eight years later, the same officer, Vandebrook, arrived to seize her husband, and they bound and gagged her husband, put him on a woodpile and forced her to watch as they poured gasoline on his body and ignited the flames. And her husband's last words to her was, forgive them. And so here, years later, Officer Vandenbroek stood before this woman in this courtroom awaiting judgment. 
And the woman told the commission she wanted three things. Very calmly, she said, I want Mr. Vanderbrook first to take me to the place where they buried my husband's body. I want to gather those ashes, and I want to give him a decent burial. But a second, Mr. Vanderbrook took all my family away from me. But I still have a lot of love to give as a follower of Jesus. And so twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto where I live and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. He needs to know what love looks like. And third, I'd like to ask Mr. Vanderbrook to know that you are forgiven by God and that I forgive you too. And I'm a follower of Jesus and he has forgiven me. So I want to ask if the bailiff would lead me across this courtroom to embrace Mr. Vanderbrook right now so he can feel the power of my forgiveness. And the courtroom was silent as this elderly woman walked across and someone in the back began singing Amazing Grace. And gradually everyone actually joined in and when the woman reached out to hug Vanderbrook in her arms, he literally trembled and fainted to the floor of the courtroom. He was overwhelmed by grace, by the fierce power of forgiveness. There is evil in this world. Yeah? There are people who will hurt you. Sometimes unintentionally, something small. Sometimes with calculated malice and profound evil. But this woman in South Africa understood the whole point of Christ coming at Christmas was to forgive our sins and then free each of us to forgive each other. That's freedom. That is the gift that God is waiting for some of you to unwrap. Can God bring good out of bad? Can, can God actually bring healing and restoration out of the hurts and the losses that, that have been inflicted on you? Absolutely yes, but you must do your part. You must accept Christ's love and forgiveness for yourself so that you will have the power to begin extending forgiveness to others. Folks, forgiveness isn't just forgetting. It's about letting the past go so that you can have a future. Maybe as a child you were hurt by an adult. Maybe, maybe a teacher or a relative or, or maybe even your parents. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says there will be extreme, profound judgment for anyone who hurts or abuses a child. One day your heavenly father is going to settle that score. One day. And God's not asking you now to gloss it over or deny it, or put on a happy face and make excuses for people who have hurt you in life. God doesn't want you to fake it. He wants you to face it. Only until you face it, then can you forgive it. You cannot be free to forgive, and you, won't be, you can't forgive until you face something. And I'm just telling some of you, you've got to stop blaming and stop running and walk across the room this Christmas in the power of Christ and let it drop. Folks, love, it lets it go. Christ gives us power to drop. Our abrasions actually embrace our enemies. This Christmas, what, a, what kind of present would that be for some of you? I, I, don't, I don't know who you need to forgive, but I do know that today is the day. Today is the day. This season's the season. This week is the week. As we close even right now, I just want you to think about that piece of paper the person, who, the people who've hurt you in life. Maybe you put their initials on a piece of paper you're holding. Today's the day I actually want to invite you to do something perhaps you've never done before. I want to invite you, hold it up, hold it up in your hand, to actually 
let it go. Love lets it go. To let them off the hook. Why would I do that? They don't deserve it. Of course they don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. That's the secret of Christmas. None of us deserve being forgiven by God. That's why he sent Jesus to this earth. Because it would be the only way we'd be forgiven and then set free. I want you to do this. Hold that piece of sandpaper in your hand. If you dropped on the floor, pick it up. Hold it in your hand. All right, let's do this. And I want to pray. And in fact, I want everybody. Can we all stand together, all of our campuses? New Brunswick, stand on up. Church online, where you are. Hold, that, hold this up. I want you to hold that. And you're going to come forward. And honestly, this, this is going to be a symbolic thing for you to maybe say this is the time that you actually give that hurt over to Christ, leave that at the cross. We have crosses set up at all of our campuses in that room. And uh, when you come forward with this, you may want to pin it to the cross as a way of saying, you know what? Jesus, I am opening my heart and I want your power to forgive and let this go. All the people who have been difficult or demanding or destructive in your life. And then we have communion stations and you can receive the Lord's Supper. That's, that, that's God's gift to you. The body broken, that's, that's the Lord Jesus. The cup is his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're going to light a candle today at our campus as a way of saying, God, you need to illuminate my path because this thing has a grip on me. And at Christmas, I want that freedom. At Christmas, guys, that's the gift that we both receive and then give to one another. Amen? Hold this with me. All our campuses, Jesus, we pray right now. This is a sacred moment, Father, because these, these are real hurts, God. These are, there are stories behind everyone. And some of us, it's burning like a hot coal in our hand. And just the thought of that person is causing uneasy feelings. Right now, I pray for your Holy Spirit. Father, do what only you can do. In the power of Christ, we receive your forgiveness. God, every single way that we have offended you, rubbed you the wrong way, failed to live up to your expectations, failed our own expectations, God, we, we say we're sorry. We ask that you would forgive our sins and renew a right spirit in our church. And Father, now we pray for these people we're bringing before you and we, we offer them up to you, Father. And we want to give that gift of forgiveness. We want to pay that forward to them. So Father, right now, I ask that you'd even do healing in this moment as we respond in worship by your Spirit's power. Let the forgiveness and power and grace of Jesus Christ just cover this place right now. We pray that in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.